I have the, the privilege of speaking today, and we have this really fantastic uh, momentum maybe that we're riding. Who was here last week for Church in the Park down at Camelon Park? Yeah, how cool was that, right? There were four churches, including us. I don't know the official tally, but there were 200-plus individuals um, all in Camelon Park um, like singing, worshiping, playing, baptizing, like ex- literally exclaiming the good news of Jesus in a public space. Um, Whitney and I live a block and a half from that park, and we had neighbors ask us, what was going, down, what was going on down in the park? Were there baptisms or something? Um, and so there was this literal community influence that was going on. That was really fantastic. Um, and so we, last week in our teaching component, we took a bit of a sidestep from our basics series. Right now, right, we're talking about what are the basics that we, as God's people, gather around. We gather around the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, what that means in a long-term perspective. We gather around his community, what it means to be part of his family, and we gather around a mission, singing songs in the park, being a presence for Christ in our community. And so though we did not teach explicitly on any of that, I want to point out that we lived it. We were literally gathering around Jesus. We were gathering in a community with three other churches in our area saying that we all are family, not just all of life, but all of us are united in God's universal church. And we were on mission being representatives in our community, um, living out those three things. And I think that is just so fantastic. And so today, I want to carry on that, like that impulse, that momentum that we have, and focus a little bit more on this community aspect. And so here's my whole plan for today, is I want to look backwards at the past eight, nine weeks. What's everything we've been going through? And, and then what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how does that influence us in community? We've already talked about this a little bit, um, but today I'm specifically hoping that you walk away with like one tool, and that is continuing the language of adoption that we've been using for the last two months, okay? So we're going to be like just simmering in this language of adoption um, of orphan and child, orphan and adopted child. So... Um, Before we jump into Acts and this teaching for today, I want to just put a question pretty resoundingly in your head. And so I have a short story for you. A while back, Whitney and I were on vacation this summer. We went out to dinner with some friends. And as we were leaving this um, dinner, we went out in the parking lot. And right in front of us in this parking lot was this really nice Mercedes Benz. But this Mercedes was really quirky because it wasn't this, like, glossy, sleek, typical Mercedes. It actually was this, like, flat black painted. It almost looked like it was spray painted. And it was covered in stickers. This isn't it. This is a Porsche. But you get the idea. But it was covered in all these weirdo stickers. And I, I don't know about you. I don't see this very often. So I kind of scratched my head, looked at it. That's, that's a weird choice of decoration. Kept going. A couple cars down, there was an Audi. Painted flat black, matte, covered in weirdo white stickers. <laughs> and so you can see I'm, okay. And they're all like weird stickers. And so keep going. Now on the left-hand side of the parking lot, an Alfa Romeo. This is like an Italian sports car luxury vehicle. Flat back, flat black, almost spray painted looking, covered in white stickers. A few cars down. A Bentley. Now we're, like, now we're in like the English UK... So these cars are worth fifty to $100,000, and they look like someone spray-painted them. And so I am absolutely confused. So looking at all these, and one thing they all had in common is right on their front hood, they had this big circle that said Dust Ball Rally. 
So we got home from vacation, and I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. Um, if you know me, I hate bumper stickers. I hate any sort of car decoration. So when I get home, I look it up. Um, and so I look it up. I look at Google Dustball Rally, and as I Google it, I'm watching their promo video. And basically what it is is it's this really cool concept. It's, they call it an open road rally. So it's an open road cross-country rally. So what you do is you sign up, you bring your sports car down there, and f over the course of a several-day period, they assign you like thousands of miles of travel. But every day you have a brand new course. So you're traveling back roads, highways, twisty curvies, all the places where the police won't get you. And you race every day. And so they, they start in a location. Every day you have a new route that you have to take. You have a co-pilot that's navigating with you. And every night you have a destination. And so it's this like interesting mystery race. And apparently you decorate your car like a bozo when you do it. <laughs> And so in this promo video, here's why this is important. In this promo video, they're talking about how great your lodgings are and how cool the cars are and how unique the racing things are. But they land on this point of there's this like uh, kind of an interview. And this person is saying, this place is amazing. When you're part of Dustball Rally, it's a family. You're like family when you're here. And Honestly, it, it struck me really weird. Like, is that what family is? Like, people that, like, get in cars and race and, like, have a good time in a hotel, is that what a family is? And so that, that stuck in my brain. Uh, a couple weeks later, I bought something off of Patagonia's website, and I paid too much for it. And <laughs> in that process, um, I got signed up for their promotional emails. And so every couple days, they would ping me with an email. And so I started hearing about their new line of hemp-based pants and t-shirts and how you can join the community of people saving the world through $150 hemp pants. And then the next week, I would get an email saying, hey, join the community of conservationists saving the world. Watch this documentary. And so every couple of days, they would ping me and say, join us. Be part of us. Be part of the community that is invested in this thing. And it was always followed with this tagline, Oh, and here's a link to buy stuff. And so I had these two experiences within a few weeks of join our family, the Dustball Rally family, join our community, buy our products. And these things stuck in my head. And I noticed that both of these very intentionally and very specifically are using this language of belonging, right? They're aiming at something. They're keying in on something that is important to us, that we individually want to belong. We want to be part of a community in a movement that is much greater than our individual needs and resources, right? They're appealing to our belonging and our connectedness, and we know that they're accurate because it works, right? It works. That's why it helps us know, like, there is something in us that wants to belong, that wants to be part of a community. And so here's my question for us today, like the big, hairy, ugly question. Is the family of God just another version of that? Is the church just another version of the Dust Ball Rally family? Are we just another version of the Patagonia community, right? Or is it possible that all of these other communities that exist in the world are just a dim reflection or dim imitation of what is the truest form of community and family? And that is God's kingdom, God's family. So that is my big question. And, and to put that in slightly other, different words, does the family of God, First Peter describes it as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, 
Does the family of God have more punch, more staying power, more beauty, more inclusivity? Does it have more to offer the world? Does it have more ability to meet the needs of our souls? Does it have more promise that your place, that my place is kept secure? We will not be forgotten. Is the family of God greater? Or are we just another dust ball rally family? Like that's my big ugly question today. Now, my goal today is not to develop um, a particularly deep theology of community today. But my goal is to really narrow in on this language of adoption, orphan, adopted. And does that change like, the, the depth of our family and what it means in the world and to us individually? So what we're doing with our, our roadmap for today is we are, no pun intended, with Dustball Rally, um, we are looking at the connection of the community in Acts, the, one of the first communities of Christians united specifically around Jesus and the adoption offered through him. We're going to be looking at that, and then we're going to be making connections to the last eight weeks of Gospel Basics. And then we're going to be using specifically this language of adoption, orphan and adopted. So as we read, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 22 through, yeah, 22 through 47. Um, and we're going to look at these three questions, okay? We're going to be asking, where did they start in relationship to God? What were they like before? What changed? What was the pivoting point? And then where did they end up? And what did that feel like? What was the flavor of their family after this big change? So if you have your own Bible, find the page. If you need a black Bible around the room, it's going to be on page 856. Um, and so here we go. I am going to jump a little bit and skip a small section in the middle. It's basically where Peter is talking about Old Testament prophets, how that reveals Christ's identity. He was speaking to an, uh, a Jewish crowd, so that was very important for them. For our sakes, it just kind of muddies it, so I'm going to skip this middle section. Um, so I'm going to just start reading. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So this is Peter. Um, he is speaking to a crowd of Jews right after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on this community of Christ followers, um, and they are now speaking in multiple international languages, proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Everyone is confused, and Peter is clarifying. He's speaking to these crowds of non-Christians who are observing this event. And he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip a couple verses. Verse 29, brothers, again, men of Israel, brothers, I may say to you with confidence Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to go to verse 32. Um, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
So all he's doing is he's honing in on who Jesus was, right? All these men had in, interacted with Jesus in Jerusalem. He's honing in, this Jesus is the Christ. Um, now we're looking at the response of the people in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe or fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, with regularity, attending the temple. Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. So just in really quick summary, what we see is um, God's Holy Spirit is shaking things up. People are acting weird. Everyone's confused. Crowds show up. Peter is saying, look, this is all because of this Christ who you've been bumping up against the last several years, the last several weeks. It's because of him. He now represents us before God. It's because of him that his spirit is now present doing crazy things with us. And then it's describing these men were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do also to be part of the family of God? We who are distant. They repent, they're baptized, they join this family, and then there's this description that they, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, they gave themselves in prayer, in community, they took care of one another, they gathered with regularity, right? So as I consider those three questions, where are they starting from? Right off the bat, these men are Jews. They're the men of Israel. They've traveled to Jerusalem because they're devout men. They live under the Old Testament law of Moses. So they, in some sense, already recognize the God of the Bible. But notice their position is that there's something that separates them from God. God is holy and untouchable, and they are the, the broken, um, sinful creation. So they're distant, right? That's where they're starting from. And God mercifully has given them a sacrificial system. He's given them ways of engaging with him. But ultimately, there's something between them. And what changes is Jesus. Jesus comes, and as Peter teaches us, Jesus comes, and he comes for the sake of all mankind. He gives himself as a sacrifice for their sins, for their unrighteousness. He gifts them his own godly righteousness. And so what changes is these men now accept Jesus. They accept the position of Jesus as son of God, as child, adopted child of God. They're accepting Jesus's position and status. So where did they start? What changed? And now what did that look like? Right? That's this second half that we read, 42 through 47. They were with each other. They devoted themselves to spiritual vibrancy. They fed each other. They clothed each other. They had favor with everyone around them. So here's where I'm going to pivot, right? What I want to do in this pivot is we're going to continue the specific language of adoption and orphan, and we're going to be looking at the last eight or nine weeks. 
the basics. What have we been in? Here's basically my argument. Here's my whole premise, is that underneath this question of is the family of God just another version of community, my whole premise is no. My premise is it absolutely is the most meaningful form of community and family that we can ever experience. God has gifted it to us with purpose since the beginning of time and that we participate in that through the basics we've been in, okay? So here's my argument, that they oriented around the Father. They oriented around the basics, and that was what created their belonging in the family. They were no longer orphans. They were adopted. And so this new identity is a freeing tool for truth. It's a freeing tool for change in our own lives. And notice, Acts chapter 2, they were not, these crowds were not given a new set of rules. Those rules still existed. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, like all that was the same. But what changed is they were given a new identity through the sonhood of Jesus. They now were made part of the family in a greater way. They had access to the Father in a greater way. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, because the reality that you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into you to cry, Abba, Father. Okay? So the reason that last part is important is because everything we're about to look at, orphan versus adopted, this isn't just you looking in the mirror every morning and being like, I'm adopted, I'm adopted, I'm adopted. This is the spirit of God in you that changes your heart from orphan to adopted. It is God's spirit that he's gifted you through the son that says, you are my child. Your, the spirit in you changes your heart where you now say, God, my father, okay? So that's our power. So we're transitioning. Why do we use the language of adoption, right? Is this Trevor's idea? Is this Jared's idea? No, we use this language of adoption because God uses this language. He calls himself our father. He says, I've put my spirit in you. In Ephesians, he says, I've made you heirs. Um, And so I think there's something very important that God does is he captures something about our spiritual reality that we often miss. We live in a, a legalistic, or we tend to, am I right, am I wrong, am I good, am I bad? We have a legal bend in our Western culture. And I believe that what God is doing in this is he's highlighting the relational reality of him as our father, him as our king, okay? There's a relational component. And that's why I'm choosing to hone in on this is because I know we get the legal stuff. We do that really well. We're really good at reminding ourselves of why we're sinful and wrong. We need to remember what it means to be in relationship with the Father. So that's why we're honing in on this. And I acknowledge that the term father and the word family can knock you back a step. Not all of us have had the same childhood experiences with family and father. And so here's my my sincerely empathetic encouragement for you, is rather than bringing our history and reading our understanding of father and family onto the pages of scripture, we realize that we live in a really broken world and we can mourn that. But also, God is speaking about something. And so what does God mean when he uses the two big F words of father and family, okay? So if you do have a past, mourn that. That That is sad. But look at how God describes himself as father, how God describes what a family is. So, two big definitions, orphan and adopted. We're going to look at orphan first. As an orphan, in really short terms, you're on your own. You don't have anyone to take care of. You don't have anyone you belong to. You are on your own. You only have your own power. You only have your own effort. 
then you only have the affection that you can create based on how you behave. As an adopted child, you belong. Someone else says you belong. So you have the power and you have the resources of your father and your family, and you have the affection that you're given through nothing that you do. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at orphan and adopted, and we're going to just like 60 miles an hour go through the last eight weeks, okay? So our very first week of teaching basics was that Jesus is the sun and center. If you are an orphan and you're on your own and Jesus is not part of your life, he's not part of your worldview, what that means is that what you see and what you experience, that is the center of the universe. Your lived experience is the center of your universe, that your place in history is one among billions. You'll vanish tomorrow. Um, your understanding of truth is based on what you've, you've seen, what you've read, and your basic goal in life is to pursue happiness in competition with the rest of the other 8 billion people in the world. When you're adopted and Jesus is the sum and center, what that means is that the whole story of creation from start to finish hinges on the good news that Jesus is a gift. Our story does not end in destruction nor oblivion. It ends with restoration. It ends with perfection because of the Father's strong qualities of mercy and righteousness. And this provides direction, provides perspective, and purpose for all of life, whether it's in pleasure or in pain. So that's why Jesus is relevant in an orphan versus an adopted world, right? Okay, gospel power for our past. This was, I think, the second week. Um, as an orphan, if gospel power does not exist for your past, you are alone. Here's what this means, that there is no arguing that you're messed up, that I'm messed up if we are orphans, right? Um, we all need to fix ourselves in order to have any form of good relationship with the people around us. You're responsible to fix yourself to create your own belonging. Because if you don't fix yourself, no one's going to want to be around you. And for those things that are in your past, those things that are in like the hidden nooks of your life, um, you got to hide them, right? If people found out about those, they'd probably book it. But if you are adopted, what we've been talking about with these basics that there is gospel power for your past through the Father, that all of your sin through Jesus Christ, it's completely covered up. It's completely paid for. All that you have now is the righteousness that he's given you. And that's created a close personal relationship with God. What that means is you have, as broken as you are, you have zero reason to hide, zero reason to fear, zero reason to be ashamed of where you've come from and what you've done from God or from others. In the present, gospel power for our present, if you're an orphan, it means the power you have is what you carry in your hands and in your self-discipline. That's the power you have. Or also, there's quite a large section at Barnes & Noble, so you can get some help there. But if you're adopted by God the Father and he sent his spirit in you to cry, Abba, Father, you now have the power of the spirit of God himself reworking the inner parts of your heart. You're not stuck in your own muck. You have God to walk with you through life. You are empowered through him. A few weeks ago, we talked about gospel plus safety plus time, this component that shifts the way that we engage with each other. Um, basically, what it's saying is, as a community of people, um, we preach the gospel, the good news that you are loved and accepted. You gift each other with safety, knowing that we're all broken. 
takes a long time for us to change. And you give people time. So you give them the good news, you give them the safety to be broken people, and you give them the time to work that all out. What that means in an orphan-adopted reality, if you're an orphan, that just doesn't exist. There is no gospel. No one's extending good news and grace to you. If you're a pain in the butt, like, you're fired. Get out of here. And so you're only kept around as long as you're useful or you're convenient. But if you are adopted, you do get gospel. You do get safety. You do get time. And because of all of that, you can be transformed at ease, knowing that you belong with the people around you. I got two left. We're going to go quick. Gospel power for our future. This is this idea that we know that God will rescue us in the future, that everything will be set right. If you're an orphan and God does not exist, like you got 60, 70 years tops, better make it work. Pursue happiness while you can and hope you don't get cancer. Like, I'm speaking really crassly here, but I think that's like this core reality. But if you are adopted, if you are adopted, the power for your future is you know that God has a future reality secured for you and for all of us as his family in which evil is removed from the world. The worst parts of your heart are corrected and renewed, that the things you worry about now will be resolved. The last one is our service and our mission. This was week seven and eight, I believe. If you're an orphan, you don't have a family. Like, you set your own rules. You set your own priorities, your own values, right? That sounds kind of nice. But the reality is, like, you got yourself. You get to care for people when it's convenient for you or when it will increase your standing or your safety or your sense of belonging. Do people need me? But if you're adopted... There's actually this gift that you're part of a much larger mission. There is a call of God on the world that you get to join and link arms with millions of brothers and sisters in Christ directed by the Spirit. So you get to act out your identity in God, remembering you have his place, his resources. And as far as mission goes, I think the most like standing thing that we talked about last uh, two weeks ago was that it's as simple as enjoying your life with God so much that you get to tell other people about it. So that is the last couple of weeks. Now, what does all that have to do with us, right? My whole premise is that these gospel basics are not just for me. They're not just for you, but as we begin to shape and orient ourselves around them and around the Father, it changes like our flavor together, right? If I know that I have gospel power over my past and I have no shame, I can now be present with you free of my shame. I can be comfortable with you. I, I can offer you safety, right? So that's this idea is how does all of this now mold our communal flavor? So that's what we're going to shift into right now, okay? Some real practicalities. But before we talk too much about practicalities, I just want to talk about the father because what I don't want to do is miss the father and only talk about the siblings, okay? I want to start with the father, why that changes us, and then work this out. So I want to start with the fact that um, as an adopted child, you have the affection that you are given, not the affection that is earned. And so I'm going to read this really quick paragraph from the perspective of a father. Now imagine this. You are alone, right? You don't know really what you're doing, where you're going. You don't really belong to someone. And you are adopted by an authority figure. And this is how they approach you. 
consider like the significance of, so here's what I want you to do is just pay attention to this. Like what, what, what is shifted in here as I read this next paragraph? This is the words of the Father to you. Welcome. Welcome to the family. All that I have, everything I own is now yours. I know that you might forget this sometimes, but you are right now and always will be my son or my daughter. I love you. Now, my family, we love goodness. We love mercy. We love righteousness. Can I show you what that looks like? Now, if you fail, I want you to remember my eyes. Remember the look on my face for you. Remember that I came for you, that you will never have to hide from me. Oh, and one of the best parts is your new siblings. I love them so much, and they have been with me a while, and they're growing to be like me. They will take care of you, but you need to know this too. They also used to be orphans. And sometimes they forget, just like you might, that they will always be my children. They will always have a place in my family. That is our Father's posture towards us. That is what he is saying to us in the words of Scripture. Is that I love you. I have come for you. You are given a new family. They will take care of you, but be gentle with each other. It's important because his affection changes the way we view each other, right? When you are, your needs are met by the affection of the Father, when he is our orienting force in our lives, we now can change the way we interact with each other. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about. Um, what, is, what follows is some of the nitty-gritty stuff um, of my own life, of the life of friends, that have shared stuff with me over the last few years. Um, it's both the beautiful and the ugly, but ultimately it is, the, free, it is the, the process of experiencing freedom because of adoption, okay? So that's what we're gonna do now. We've asked this big question, is there a difference between the family of God and the family of the Dust Bowl Rally? We've looked at Acts, we looked at um, where did people come from in relationship to God, what changed, and where did they end up? We're going to look at that in a minute. Um, but now what we're doing is we're saying, how does our flavor change as individuals based on the last eight weeks, right? Now we're going to talk nitty-gritty stuff. So we're going to start with this premise that as an adopted child, you belong. And so this changes how we show up, and it changes how we dig in and care for each other. I've gotten permission to share this. Um, so Whitney and I have been married for about three years, and we got married shortly after beginning our, our family ship at All of Life. Um, and as we became more and more integrated within All of Life, there was this really hard thing. We were living as if we were orphans while participating in the family of God. That is 100% possible. You can be an orphan or think you're an orphan while living in the family of God. And so Whitney and I were shortly into our marriage, and we pulled up to MC one night, right? Missional community, our family, right? These are the people we belong with. And there was some sort of like Halloween party or something. And we pulled up in the driveway. And Whitney and I have been having a really hard time, both in life and in our marriage. And we pulled up, and she broke down in tears and literally like locked the doors of the car. 
and said, I'm not going in. And she's a mess, like makeups. Like she and I are fighting. I'm like, it's fine. They're our friends. Just like, quit crying, please. I don't know what to do with you. And I didn't know what to do. And here's why Whitney was crying. And she said, Trevor, if people knew the ugliness I'm feeling and living in right now, they would leave me. My mask isn't on. Not, not like mask mask, right? But like my emotional facade. I can't hide my ugly right now. And if I go in there, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's what happens when we live as orphans in the family of Christ, when we don't believe that there's gospel power for our past or our present or our future, when we don't believe that we have gospel plus safety plus time, when we don't realize that God's attitude towards us is one of love and consistency, what we're left with is we're living as orphans saying, I can't wear my mask right now. And we're not living in the freedom of a beloved daughter of Christ. And so it changes everything. We hide, we perform, Honestly, like, I've been leading an MC for a year or two right now, and my orphan heart constantly says, Trevor, look how good you are. You're doing such a good job with MC. Or, what's wrong with you? Look how bad of a job you're doing leading your MC. Right? Both of those are this idea that if I'm not doing a good job leading MC, I'm out. If I am doing a good job of leading MC, great, I'm in, right? I've earned the affection of the people around me. That's this orphan mentality baked into the way I lead God's people, Right? And so that's why we're talking about this as orphan versus adopted. That's our tool, is that even as we engage with the family, we say, is this an orphan mentality or is this an adopted mentality? What is the freedom I have access to? Another thing that often happens, I know I experience this, is if we feel like we can't be everywhere, we can't attend all the events, we can't be part of all the, the groups, we can't help out, we feel like we're failing, right? Something's wrong with us. Or here's like the big underlying thing that motivates us to be engaged. If I'm gone for a while, they'll forget me. They'll forget me. They'll move on. And really that's the sense that like I don't belong. I'm just there. I just show up. But if I, if I stop coming, I'll just get passed over. And so we push ourselves. We push ourselves into performing, to working, to being present. Another way this works itself out as an orphan mentality in the family of God is we show up and we're, we're sitting around the table or the coffee shop or whatever it is, and we know all the right words. And we can talk about God's goodness and his faithfulness. And the whole time, like, everything here down is just like, I love God so much. He's just so good to me, and I just... Thank you, brother, for just meeting with me and just reminding me of God's goodness. Right? Like, that happens. And so what that is, is that's a strategy that ultimately says, if you knew this, you'd judge me, you'd leave me, you'd criticize me, you'd fix me, right? Like, there's this fear of what's going to happen to me. It's where gospel plus safety plus time comes in. Last one. Often we can live as orphan children in God's family in this way. I've been coming to church for a while. I'm enjoying the people. I'm enjoying the coffee. The preaching's okay. But if I get more connected, people are going to start to see through the cracks. Like if I really lean in and get more connected, people are going to know my crap. 
I'm worried about that, right? And that keeps us out of the family. And all of these things are designed in one way or another, consciously or subconsciously. What they do is they put up a barrier and a facade and they keep people out. And here's what's crazy. It works. When we create a barrier to keep people out, people are kept out. And what you're left with is isolation, whether it's through faking or through legitimate distance because you don't want to get connected, but you're left out and you're missing out. You're living as an orphan and not realizing that as an adopted child, you have gospel power for your past, you have gospel power for your present, your future, you have gospel plus safety plus time, you're given the mission and the belonging of a family. I think there's just, before we look at Acts, I think there's just a sense of like, why are we surprised when people are messy, right? Like, um, if you turn around and look at the people behind you, like, the, I guarantee you, they're just as broken as you are. So why are we trying to hide this, right? Um, I am not glorifying being broken. I am glorifying the good God that changes our brokenness and accepts us otherwise. So as you look at the people around you, it's not like, <laughs> you're, like you're just as messed up as I am. Let's go have a party. It's like, wow, God is so good to you and he's so good to me. Like, let's talk about that goodness amidst our brokenness, right? So I'm gonna end with this. One last fast read through, through what, um, verses 42 through 47. Because what I want to see is this final connection between the gospel basics, this flavor we've just talked about, and the words on God's page that describe his community, okay? That's the last thing, and then we're going to end. In verse 42, there's this language. I'm going to read this in my own words. It says, they were devoted, they prioritized, and relished hearing God's truths, and they relished gathering with their family, and they received life and purpose from it. This, this was a community of friends that literally scheduled their lives around spiritual vibrancy, the growth of wisdom, and they shared that with each other. That's my interpretation of verse 42. Verse 43, awe and fear came upon every soul. I, re I read this as they were shaken. The new experiences of the power of the spirit did, spirit did not fit in their worldview. It just didn't make sense. When I think about us and all of life, I, th I think about like praying for the restoration of a marriage, praying for financial provision, praying for the physical healing of your children, and then having that happen and not in the secret places of our heart saying, well, it probably would have happened anyways, but allowing that to break our world. Say, what, what if, how much fear would you have if you thought God would actually intervene? How much fear would be present in your life? in awe. Verse 44, my own words, they were together, they had all things in common, they were selling their possessions to any had need. And what that looked like and felt like was they had the security of knowing that if they lost their job, if crap hit the fan, there were people around them that had their back that would sell their living room couch to make sure they were okay. Verse 46, Day by day, with ordinary regularity, they attended the temple, they were together in homes, they ate with glad and generous hearts, and what that felt like was the normalcy of living life day by day, knowing that you belong with the people around you. Knowing you belong day by day with the people around you. Those people have your back in all things. 
What that means is that your birthday invitation list would be long and full of sincere love. Verse 47, because of their flavor and feel, people were attracted to them. They admired them and respected them. And because of this, the Lord added to their number. I think there's a very real and tangible connection between what it means when the Spirit is poured out on us, the Spirit that puts in our heart something that says, Abba, Father. And as we orient around our Father, we individually, through the basics, these truths about God, we individually are transformed and freed by the gospel. And because of that, we become capable of being truly ourselves with each other. We lose the need to perform. We lose the need to maintain, to be smart, to be clever, to be useful, to be needed. And it's in that sweet spot that we begin to just enjoy the blessing of God's family. I feel like there's a lot here, um, more than I can do justice. And so my prayer for today, um, musicians, if you'd come up, my prayer for today is that, Father, would you remind us Open our ears to that spirit in us that says, Abba, Father, as we orient around you, as we feel the freedom of being in your family, would we look at our siblings with love and affection? Would we gather around you and your goodness? Thank you for the ways you are already doing that amongst us. Would you remind us that this is not just another to-do list. This is the goodness of being adopted. We love you. Amen.